This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 138, and we are recording on June 26th. I am Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Maria Christina Garcia Lynch, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome. Thank to you. The show. I don't remember where Jen is. <laughs> I, oh my gosh. I remember who did, who did that she's out of town. Her? She's gone somewhere and that I needed to get a guest. So I asked <laughs> Maria Christina to join us. She is our latest addition to staff. She's an assistant editor at Book Riot. And Jen is somewhere. I don't know. I think sales meetings. I don't know where she went. I can't keep track of my co-host. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine. Is this, well, this we, is your we first miss time? her, but I'm, I'm very excited to be her understudy. Yay. Is this your first time on a on any of our shows? Is that it right? It is. It nice. is my first time on any of the podcasts. I win. <laughs> you got me first. I win the MC lottery. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, we are going to get right into it. Um, as I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a book rec for yourself, for your book club, for a gift... Um, Maybe you've read something that's like left a big hole in your heart and you want to read alike or you're traveling somewhere and you want to read about that place that you're going. Whatever the reasons that you need a reading recommendation, you can send any and all of those to us. You can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. Um, Either way, if your question is time sensitive, please note that in big giant letters in the subject line if you use the email. If you're using the form, just put it in big letters in the first line of your question so that we can get to it on time. Um, if we are not going to get to your question on time on the show, then we will email you back. We've also e- we will also email you back if we've answered your question on air a few times already, and we'll send you new recommendations or links to the shows where we've already answered your question. So check your inboxes for that. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for housekeeping. We don't have any big giveaways running right now, randomly, um, and we don't have any feedback from last week's episode because it was the Octavia Butler read-alike episode, so we didn't have like reader questions for anyone to answer. So I feel like I'm missing a million things, but I'm not. I know I'm not because I checked, so it's fine, but we are just going to roll into it. I'm going to read our first question and give you our first sponsor, and then we will um, you know, answer it because that's how this works. That's how the show works with the answering. Okay, so so question one is from Ingrid, and Ingrid says, I've been trying to read a lot of translated literature from around the world this year. I've learned so much, but it seems like publishers in the U.S. mostly translate books that are really heavy or experimental. All that heavy subject matter is starting to weigh on me, and I'd love to read some world lit that's lighter in tone. Um, Any recommendations? Some books that fit the bill that I've already read are Strange Weather in Tokyo, A Man Called Ova, and Gakker Goker. Would especially love any recommendations for genre fiction in translation. Okay, before we get to that, our first sponsor is My Plain Jane from Epic Reads. This is by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. So this is a comedic and not exactly faithful, but entirely faithful, but not really, retelling of Jane Eyre. Um, So if you read My Lady Jane, this is from the same authors who wrote My Lady Jane, which is like a werewolf supernatural Tudor YA novel that is like super popular. Jen has mentioned it on the show a couple of times. So this is from that same auth- that same set of authors. Um, and My Plain Jane is, you know, about Jane from Jane Eyre. She has endured years of hardship and misery and is ready to embark on a brand new life as a governess at Thornfield Hall. Charlotte is an aspiring novelist. Yes, it's that Charlotte. Uh, she's determined to capture her friend Jane's story, even if it means worming her way into the most epic ghost hunt this side of Wuthering Heights. Reader, there will be murder. Yes. Ooh. Mayhem and romance. So prepare yourself for an adventure of gothic proportions in which all is not what it seems. And Mr. Rochester is hiding more than skeletons in his closet. And one assumes more than wives in the attic. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so My Plain Jane is available wherever books are sold, or you can visit epicreads.com for more information. And thanks for sponsoring the show. All right. Um, question one. So I'm just going to keep talking because I've been talking for a million years. 
Um, so I picked The Madonna of the Sleeping Cars. It's by Maurice de Cobra, and it's translated by Neil Wainwright from the French. And this is like if P.G. Wodehouse wrote a Soviet spy thriller. Like, it's very genre. It was published in the 20s, and so it has that kind of, you know, like, stuffy English. Except the main character's French. He's not English. But it has that very, like, stuffy Englishman goes on comedy of errors adventure with very dangerous Russian kind of thing going on. And it's just, like funny and it's one of the original best sellers of the 20th century it sold like 15 million copies which you know in 1927 is a huge deal it was like this massive bestseller um i think it's john updike was it no who wrote oh what was that author's name he was he had an affair with ein not ein rand oh gosh now i'm just mixing everybody up Whatever. It'll come to me later. <laughs> anyway, so the actual book that I'm talking about is about a man named Gerard. He is technically a prince. He was, like, adopted by, you know, a quote-unquote oriental prince. Um, he's a Frenchman. He's very wealthy. And he has married a super, super wealthy American woman. Their marriage has fallen apart. And he has fled to London to become the personal secretary of Lady Diana Wyndham, who is, I think, like, the widow of a duke or something like that. Um, her, her, her dead husband used to be the ambassador to Russia before the Russian Revolution. And Lady Diana has discovered that she is at a moment in time where she is financially ruined. Um, A lot of her investments have fallen apart. uh, And she is going to take advantage of land that her husband was gifted by the the Russian... um, by Russian royalty. Of course, that land has since been nationalized and is owned by the Soviet Union. And Lady Diana sends Gerard to Russia to hopefully get her land back because there's like oil on it and she wants, um, you know, some dollars. So he goes to Russia and arranges this meeting between Lady Diana and a Soviet, um, what high-ranking Soviet official. The Soviet official falls in love with Lady Diana. And the problem is that the Soviet official already has a girlfriend who is also a very high-ranking Soviet spy. And this woman, the Soviet spy, sets out on this like epic quest for revenge for having lost her lover to a capitalist of all things, an English capitalist. Um, and poor Gerard is like stuck in the middle trying to figure out how to get out of Russia and how to save this woman he's working, working for. And also like trying to get back together with his wife, the American who he deeply loves. And it's just like pot shots against communism and lots of grubby jail cells. It's just like fun and goofy and such a snapshot of what literature was at that exact moment in time. Like the best-selling novel of the the first half of the 20th century. Um, and yeah, just fun. Like I read it, you know, in a sitting. It's just a lot of fun. So that's The Madonna of the Sleeping Cars by Maurice de Cobra. Okay. You totally had me at P.G. Woodhouse. I, I yes. read anything that's, that's compared to him. Um, okay. <laughs> so my pick for Ingrid is called... Helpa Imperial, The Greatest Empire That Never Was, and it's by an Argentinian author named Angelica Gorodischer. Um, and one really special thing about this book is that it was translated into English by, drumroll please, <laughs> Ursula K. Le Guin. I mean, it, it doesn't get any fancier than that if you want a stamp of approval from some sci-fi fantasy royalty right there. And this book, it's, um, it's basically a chronicle told by this unnamed storyteller about this empire that has been through tons and tons of stuff in its long history. So you get all these, these legends of its history and best thing about this book is the language. It's just so evocative and beautiful. And I don't know if if that is the original author or Ursula or an interplay of the two of those, but it's just such a delight to to read. Um, The first sentence is like a paragraph long, but it's just gorgeous and I I was actually sad when we got to a period because the, the the writing of this book throughout is is it's poetry I I love it so much and it's hilarious too so you won't get any kind of heavy heavy stuff that you're right you you do usually tend to get with literature and translation 
Um, so this is this is a really nice little uh, fantasy getaway from Argentina. Um, yeah. Nice. Can you say the title and the author again? Oh, I'm sorry. The title is Kelpa Imperial, The Greatest Empire That Never Was by Angelica Gorodisher. And it is translated by Ursula K. Le Guin. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Question two. That's you. Oh, that's me. And this <laughs> question is from Ron. And Ron writes, I am going through a breakup from my long-term relationship and struggling to find books to help me through it. There are plenty of breakup films and songs, but no books. I don't read Chiclet, and that appears to be the only genre that caters for breakups. Sad face. That's, that's Ron. That's not me. Sad emoji. Yep. I'm not looking for anything sad or romantic, but something empowering to push me along. Recent books I have read and loved are I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell, A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Eleanor McBride, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi, and The Weight of Him by Ethel Rowan. I have previously devoured books like The Mothers, Queen of the Night, The Ninth Hour, and I'm currently reading The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. Please help. Lots and lots of love, Ron. Okay, Amanda, you're up. Okay, I picked Gone Girl (laughs) by Gillian Flynn because when I, well, I don't want to like get down in my own personal stuff here, but you know, when I'm not happy with my relationship or where it's going or whatever, I tend to want to read things about murders um, and about how relationships are nonsense to begin with. So I think Gone Girl is a nice encapsulation of all of these things. It's not sad or romantic. It's just about how a married couple is screwed up. Um, I don't I don't really know how much of the plot I need to tell you because Gone Girl is such a big bestseller. And the I movie, think maybe there was a movie made There may was a movie a little bit with that one guy and like the full frontal shot. That was unexpected. <laughs> ben Affleck and the full frontal was not what I was... I was unprepared <laughs> for that when I went into that movie theater. But it's fine. It's fine. I liked the movie version. Um, so Nick and Amy have been married for five years. I'm just going to give you like a, a brief overview. Um, they've been married for five years. They seem like the rela- It seems like the relationship is very perfect is like perfect. Amy is independently wealthy. Nick is unemployed. Uh, I think he was a journalist and he's lost his job. They're living off of Amy's inheritance and they decide to move back to Nick's hometown in order to like start again. Um, He's going to try to find a job, etc. One day, Nick's wife, Amy, just disappears. Uh, The house is destroyed. There's blood on the floor and Nick becomes suspect numero uno in the disappearance of Amy Dunn. Um... All is not what it seems. I feel like, I, you know, you probably already know what happened here. Um, but I don't, in case you don't, I don't want to spoil it. Amy is not who you think she is. Um, and I, when I read this book, I hadn't, I had managed to avoid all of the buzz. And I didn't oh, have wow. any idea. I know. And so when I got to Amy's part of the storytelling, because it's told in two narratives, like Nick's perspective and then Amy's, I was totally blown away. Like I did not see it coming at all. And I loved it. I loved it so much. So they are both really horrible, hateful people. Um, and I think that if you are recently broken up, it will kind of comfort you. Like, dang, I dodged a bullet. <laughs> like, look at how messed up <laughs> long-term relationships can be. I am one lucky human being to not have to be involved in that sort of thing right now. Um, that's certainly how it made me feel. I don't know, which is maybe says more about me than about the book. But it's also, like, outside of all of that, just a really great, well-written thriller that kind of puts some new blood and, you know, new life into the genre as a whole. So Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn is my pick. Okay. And um, I, I got this question and I was just like, I, I don't know what to tell you, because <laughs> I'm I'm married to the only person I ever dated, so I'm pretty much useless when it comes to breakups. Um, I do not mean that as a humble brag. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, but then I, I was reading a book that just came out this week. It is called Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. And this book is, it's a speculative, supernatural, post-apocalyptic novel. Um, climate change or the big water, as they call it in the book, got a lot of the world's population. And then there were energy wars. And basically, all that's left of civilization is concentrated in this 
huge Navajo reservation in the American interior where humans are just carrying on as best they can. But it's also, it's not marketed as such, but it's also a badass breakup book because the main character, Maggie, is a monster slayer who just got out of a really intense long-term relationship with an immortal being who was also her mentor. And when the book opens, she's taking on her first booking, I guess you could call it, as a <laughs> monster slayer since the breakup about nine months prior. And and this this job that she takes ends up leading to this really, really amazing sort of quest to to figure out why this latest batch of monsters are are popping up and what's going on with them. You get all these other mythological beings who have taken form in the world post this big water coming into play here. And she basically ends up working through her issues as she violently kicks butt, like really violently. Parts of my squeamish self had to skim over. Um, well, well, my squeamish self had to skim over some parts. And uh, it was it was still a book that I really loved and and was disappointed when, when it ended. Not because the ending was disappointing, but because I just wanted it to keep going. Uh, it's one of those. And, and it's really great to watch Maggie come back to herself after, after this really life-defining breakup for her. So that's my pick for Ron. Co-signed. That book just came out today. As we're recording everyone, it, yes. Yes, everyone go get it. I loved it. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Okay, question three is from Cheryl, um, who says, Greetings from Brunei. Uh, Thank you, ladies, for all the reading and research you do for this podcast. Um, I just found you at the beginning of this year, and I listened to you both from the very first episode. I'm currently on episode 86. Dang, good job. That's a lot of listening. Um, Okay, please help me find easy-to-read books about any Catholic saints. Female saints would be nice, like Mother Teresa of Calcutta. No Father Peel, please. I've already read a few books about him. I've picked up a couple of books about St. Francis, but neither were engaging at all. I fell asleep. (laughs) Okay, this was an interesting question for me. I'm not Catholic uh, and have no zero knowledge of Catholic saints at all. So I went down like mega rabbit holes to find a book for you. And I actually picked a novel, a work of historical fiction, because if you're, you know, if you're reading books about the saints, then you're finding them kind of boring. Maybe I'm assuming they're nonfiction. So maybe if you, you know, get your knowledge in a, in a novelization form, it might be a little more interesting. So I picked Sister Teresa by Barbara Mujica. And this is about Teresa of Avila, who was a Catholic saint in the 16th century. Um, and my and confirmation name. Really? Oh, yay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I, like, spent a week reading about her and, like, diving. She's such a weird, interesting yeah. kind of figure. Um, yeah. So this novel, obviously, it's a historical fiction, a novelization of her life. Um, her grandfather was murdered or con- either condemned or murdered, I don't remember which, uh, in the Spanish Inquisition for refusing to renounce his Jewish faith. And so she is born, you know, obviously years after that because that's her grandfather and that's how genealogy works uh, in the 15th, the 16th century um, to parent her dad like bought a knighthood and they were very, very religious. And when she was 11, she like ran off with her brother to go seek martyrdom and was like caught by her uncle as, as she was escaping the city. <laughs> and her uncle was like, could you not, you know, <laughs> like I'm gonna t- take you home. It's not time for you to be a martyr yet. Um, anyway, so as she grew up and she, um, you know, like it became this Catholic mystic and had all of these like fits of spiritual rapture, some of which, you know, that she obviously eventually became sainted for. But at the time, people were like, um, you could maybe possibly be like possessed by the devil here. We're just, th- just throwing it out there. Uh, and then she became this like really big reformer of, of convents. The convent that she went to was not strict enough for her. So she went on this big like reformation kick. She's just really, really interesting. She was involved in like there's some cloak and dagger political stuff happening. So her her life sounds like a novel, right? Like it's so complicated and, and interesting and has all of these um, like – fits of spiritual ecstasy, but also Inquisition stuff happening. There's just like so much going on. Uh, so perfect, like ripe for a novelization. Um, so yeah, check that out. Sister Teresa by Barbara Mujica. 
Go with God. Yay! <laughs> yeah, as as you could tell from my interjection there, I was raised Catholic. Um, and and yeah, I I don't have a book about a specific Catholic saint for you though, Cheryl. Um, because I want to recommend this book instead, <laughs> which is about four really famous, awesome American Catholics, one of whom is on her way to sainthood. Uh, and that book is The Life You Save May Be Your Own by Paul Ellie. And this is about the, the literary Catholicism of Thomas Merton, Flannery O'Connor, Walker Percy, and Dorothy Day, who has been endorsed for sainthood by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Hey. And, and there's still a, a very long way to go before she is totally 100% canonized, but this is such a good book. And um, it is about these, these four 20th century writers who, who were super, super Catholic. Um, and their Catholicism... It, each of them, it, it took very different forms. They weren't necessarily 100%, I am going to be a megaphone for everything the, the Vatican says. Um, they were really, really kind of quirky individuals with their own very interesting life story. So please go find biographies about each one of these people individually. But what this book does that's super special is bring together the four of these people who were writing and publishing at the same time and had correspondences with each other. And it, it talks about the, the pilgrimages they undertook through their writing. And it's a great book if you want to get just a, a little bit of an overview of the literary landscape in the 20th century. With these writers, um, the title of the book, The Life You Save May Be Your Own, is taken from the title of a Flannery O'Connor short story. Um, and it really isn't as dry as it might sound when you, when you say, like, oh, yeah, it's this book about 20th century writers who were Catholics and wrote things. And it's, it's really engaging and contemplative, and it is fantastic if you are struggling with your Catholicism or if you are super gung-ho about your Catholicism. You get so many different perspectives on what faith looks like in the daily lives and the writing careers of these four very real people. They, they come across so, so alive in this book. So, I think you should go out and read The Life You Save Maybe Your Own by Paul Ellie. <laughs> the end. St. Dorothy. Yeah. That'd I'm crossing be- my fingers because she's awesome. They have to. Now, she has to have some kind of recorded miracle, right, to be canonized? She has to have, like, there are, like, many, many different hoops she's got to jump through. But, yeah, <laughs> a, a few a few on-record miracles are are on the list. Posthumous hoop jumping. Yeah, yeah. So start start praying to her and watch things happen and then you can raise your hand and say, hey, I got one right here. Because <laughs> that's how that works. I don't know. You are up. I am. Okay. This question comes from Megan. Megan writes, my niece is wanting to learn all she can about Japan. She is 11 and loves karate, where she got her wanting to know more of Japan. This summer, we want to keep her reading and learning. We are looking for books that can also keep her engaged, that she can dive into on her own or with us. She has dyslexia and is under her reading level and can get bored with books. Any recommendations on books with culture or stories of the country, maybe about the youth, will be amazing to show her parallels. Thank you so much. Love your recommendations. My TBR list grows each episode. Then we're doing something right, Megan. Okay, Amanda, what you got for her? All right. I picked My Awesome Japan Adventure, a diary about the best four months ever by Rebecca Atawa. 
And this is a graphic novel for kids about a fifth grade boy named Dan, who is the narrator, who is spending four months in Japan as an exchange student. And so I picked this for a couple of reasons. I think for someone with dyslexia, a graphic novel might be easier to process, especially if she's already reading a little bit below her grade level. Um, The kid is her age. The main character is her age. Um, And he is an American going to live in a, in a, in a country he's not super familiar with. Um, so I think there would be a lot here that she would find interesting and informative in a package that is easy would be easy for her to digest. Um, and so Dan, every chapter include or like, you know, chapter, it's a graphic novel, but like every chapter is, you know, like my first week at school, fun with origami, um, practicing Aikido. Like every um, new section of the book is about him exploring a new part of Japanese culture that he is unfamiliar with. They go visit a ninja village. He tries all this new food. He learns how to do brush painting. Like it's just a really, really great, um, lovely exploration of a new culture from the point of view of a kid who is just like having a grand old time, you know, like he's gone to Japan and um, he is accompanied on his adventures with his exchange. I don't know what the term would be like exchange student brother, sister, foster brother, like like the kids who live in the house where he is living for these four months, Uh, Mari and Dasuki, and they are like his tour guides as he discovers everything that is fun and great about Japanese culture during his time there. So I think that would be a good pick, especially if she's heading over there anytime soon. Um, So that's My Awesome Japan Adventure by Rebecca Otawa. Okay. And uh, I, I picked My Neighbor Totoro, the novel. Um, And this is something that is also in graphic novel form, so you can look that up. But I I picked the straight-up novel um, by Tsukiko Kubo. And the thing about this that I think will be really great for your niece is that it's also a movie. So if she's having trouble following along in the book, if she has watched the movie beforehand, or if she wants to just set the book aside for a little bit and watch the movie instead before returning to the book, she can do that and it'll help her keep track of the plot and the characters. And also it's, it's a really good movie. Uh, she should just watch it. You should just watch it, Megan. Um, but uh, the, the book also is about these two sisters, um, Satsuki and Mei. And Mei is four, but Satsuki, I think, is 11, same age as your niece. So you've got these kids in rural post-war Japan um, just having all of these cool adventures in the woods with this gigantic forest spirit named Totoro. And... um, and the, if you if you have seen a picture of Totoro, he is adorable. He's huge, but he's also just adorable. This big fluff ball. Um, my my three year old assumed that this book was hers because she she just thought like, oh hey, my my stuffed bunny is on the cover, and I'm just <laughs> like, no, no. Um, but it's it's super super adorable, and it's. It's something that you can read out loud to her or she can read on her own. And and it's just, it's a really sweet book about family. And and it's, it's I'm just going to, I'm starting to tear up a little bit oh. because it's, it's, it's just the most gentle, sweet, fun, fun book. And watch the movie. And I don't know what else I want to say about this. It's my neighbor, Totoro. You should read it. Okay. Huzzah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm running out of steam, Amanda. I'm just running out of steam. All right. So before we continue, I'm going to tell you about our second sponsor, um, which is Mira Books, publisher of this summer's must-read novel, Harry's Trees by John Cohen. Um, So Harry's Trees is about a 34-year-old man named Harry Crane who loses his wife in a freak accident. He becomes totally unable to cope and determined to lose himself. He turns to the remote woods of northeastern Pennsylvania's endless mountains um, because the trees have always been, you know, like a source of comfort. He likes to go out into the woods when he needs that kind of comfort in his life. But before he can, you know, leave the world behind, fate intervenes in a very unexpected way, sending him on an unlikely journey where he encounters a strange and quirky group of characters, including a wise old librarian, which, you know, we all love that kind of trope, a grief-stricken widow, and a little girl 
girl who has an unwavering belief in fairy tales that will help them all find magic in their lives. So this is an an uplifting story and a poignant reminder about the power of friendship and the enduring presence of goodness in the world, even when you're going through a really dark time. So go off and you can download Harry's Trees today on audiobook or pick up a copy wherever books are sold. Thank you for sponsoring the show. All right, question five is from Meg, who says, My family's traveling to the UK this summer, and I would love to read my children some books set there to get in the mood. We've covered London, but could you please recommend a middle-grade chapter book set in Scotland or Wales? Okay, I picked a creepy one for you. Um, It's called The Charmed Children of Rookskill Castle by Janet Fox. And this is historical fiction, middle-grade fantasy, little bit mystery, maybe, kind of. You know, horror, but like middle grade horror, not like adult horror. Um, it's set during World War II in, R- in Rookskill Castle, which is a rundown Scottish manor that has been turned into a temporary boarding, sc- boarding school for children who need to escape the Blitz. So if you're like unfamiliar with that period of World War II history, uh, when the Germans were bombing the cities of, of England, the government sent children, sometimes with their mothers, but sometimes unaccompanied, into the countryside to stay with strangers um, in the countryside, you know, to protect them from the bombs that were dropping on the big cities. So the, the main character, Kat, is 12 years old. She's got her two young ki- you two younger siblings with her. Um, and then there's an American kid who they meet who becomes, you know, quickly befriends the sibling group. And they are sent to Rookskill Castle, which, like I said, has been turned into a boarding school. And they're going to stay there and wait out the Blitz. Um, but it's pretty clear as soon as they get there that this, like, creepy Scottish castle is not normal like even for a creepy scottish castle it's like off the charts creepy children start to go missing um it seems like maybe the like the walls are listening constantly it's just eerie and spooky and sinister and then terrible like bad things start to happen and so cat and her her new friend and her siblings become these kind of amateur sleuths to figure out what exactly is going on like they do not believe, it very obviously seems like maybe the castle is haunted and some sort of terrible magical being is inhabiting the space. But maybe also Kat thinks, has a theory that there's a spy living in the castle because, you know, the country is at war. Um, and so she goes off with her uh, ragtag band of young amateur sleuths to figure out what exactly is going on, where the missing children have gone, and what the history of the castle and of Scotland in general have to do with what's happening. So I think that that would get uh, any kid in the mood to visit a, you know, windswept country like Scotland. So that's The Charmed Children of Rookskill Castle by Janet Fox. Okay, and I am also going to take you to Scotland with a historical fiction read called Quest for a Maid by Frances Mary Hendry. And um, this is uh, like a relatively old book. It came out in 1990. Um, and, and I am so incredibly fond of this book, so much so that when I was a child and it was in my classroom library, I stole the copy and still have it today. (laughs) So sorry to my middle school. Um, But this is such a good book. It is set in 13th century Scotland. And at nine years old, Meg is hiding under a table when she overhears her eldest sister use witchcraft to kill the Scottish king. And she she isn't sure that that what happened was was totally real. Um, but soon enough, the news comes that yeah, the the Scottish king fell off a cliff and and he's dead now. So the noblewoman who who commissioned this magical assassination uh, takes Meg's older sister away with her to to become a fine lady because her older sister just really wants power and to be out of the boonies where she lives at the time. And Meg, Meg is conflicted. She still really loves her sister and she, she doesn't tell anybody about what she overheard. A little bit later, she ends up rescuing little Davy, the son of Sir Patrick Spence, from drowning. And as a reward, 
the two children end up getting betrothed because that's the way things worked in 13th century Scotland. So she ends up moving into Davy's household so that she can learn how Davy will one day expect his own house to be kept. And a few years later, there has been some sort of resolution to the question of succession. Uh, All of this has been kind of playing out in the background. Meg hasn't seen her sister in a while, but eventually the noblemen of Scotland decide that they're going to send Sir Patrick Spens to Norway to fetch the granddaughter of the deceased king and bring her back um, she's only like seven at the time, but they, they decide they're going to bring her back to Scotland so that she can rule. And there, we're done. We don't need to have any kind of wars or fighting over who's going to be next. We're going to have this little girl. Of course, Meg's older sister gets wind of, of this decision and calls up a storm to shipwreck everyone on that boat carrying this this little girl back from Norway. And it's not clear if she knows it or not, but Meg and Davy are, are also on this boat that gets shipwrecked. So in in this in this novel, the the maid from Norway um, she survives with the help of Meg and Davy and another one of their their friends. These they're basically like 10, 11, 12 pretty young people. But she survives and it it tells the story of that survival from that point onward, but in real life, uh, as far as we know, she did not survive. She died on the way to Scotland, and the real-life king who was killed is Alexander the, uh, I don't know, second, third, I don't know. It was an Alexander who really did, like, fall off his horse in the middle of the night off a cliff and and died. Um, So this is kind of like a little bit of an Anastasia, like the, the movie situation where you've got this, this, deceased royalty who maybe, maybe survived. Um, And it's just, it's a really great atmospheric book. It is super evocative of what it would be like to be a child growing up in this, this Scottish village. And it's, it's just so fun. They do use a little bit of dialect, but the book has a glossary in the back. And uh, I think, I think they'll really enjoy it and be excited to to go to Scotland as long as they're not going by boat. Okay. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> All right. Um. And on the next question. And this next question is from Christina. Christina writes, Hi, I love your recommendations and am hoping for some help finding books for my son. He is 14 and a voracious reader. His favorite books range from the Michael Vay series, Pitticus Lore books, and the Ranger's Apprentice to the Bil- Ranger's Apprentice to the Belgariad. I'm not familiar with that book. It sounds yeah, interesting though. Uh, Piers Anthony books and Mything Inc. series. He also liked The Martian. I love The Martian. Um, he did not like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or Lord of the Rings. I know. That's Christina <laughs> saying I know. But also I'm like, what? But okay, you tried, Christina. That's what counts. He is currently reading the Throne of Glass series. He did like Patrick Ness's Monsters of Men. He has read many recent books. I'm at a loss. His favorite criteria include an action-adventure, anti-heroes, a little romance. He reads about a book a day and prefers series to make a good story last longer. Please and thank you, Christina. 
Okay. Um, yes. So I book a day. I like, I missed that when I oh, read this man. question the first time and I'm like, dang. All right. <laughs> uh, that's impressive. So I picked Want by Cindy Pawn, which is the first in a series, but the second one isn't out yet. Um, the second one is called Ruse and will come out next year. So th- yeah, there you go. Uh, so Want takes place in a near future Taiwan. The main character is Jason, who is a teenage boy. Um, and in this version of society, pollution is a really, really big problem, um, as is illness. Uh, Viruses are plaguing the city of Taiwan. And there's a big, huge divide between the elite wealthy people of the city and everyone else. The rich have these special suits that they wear um, that protect them from pollution. They include helmets that, you know, filter out the air and protect them from the viruses that plague the city. People who can't afford the suits, which is pretty much everyone, die very early deaths, either of lung issues, uh, overwork, or from these various illnesses. Uh, The city is obviously very corrupt. The people who manufacture the suits, which in the book it's the Gym Corp, um, manufacture the suits, have a lot of politicians in their pocket that prevent the passage of any kind of environmental legislation that would ease the suffering of most of the people who live in the city. Um, uh, Jason's mother died as a result of the corruption and the, po- the pollution and the illnesses that ravaged this city. And he's got this kind of found family now. Um, and with the help of his friends, he poses as a wealthy um, kid in order to get inside the gin corporation and bring it down. So it has action adventure. Um, it's like political intrigue, but the re- the way that they get this money to set Jason up as a like fake rich kid is they kidnap the daughter of the man who owns the gin corporation. Um, and Jason, Jason kidnaps her uh, for the money, uh, which is actually a fairly common practice in this universe. Um, and they, when they let her go, they get the money. He infiltrates uh, this world of these elite young people and um, befriends the girl eventually. And then they start to develop a kind of romance. So while he is inside this upper echelons of society plotting to bring it down, he's also falling for Dayu, which is the um, the girl, the daughter of Jim Jim Corp's CEO. And so he has to find a way to, um, you know, maintain his relationship, even though it's based on kidnapping her uh, and lying about every aspect of his life and personality, while also staying true to the mission that he and his friends have decided. So there's a little bit of romance. um, And I don't know that I would classify these kids as antiheroes, though the powerful elite in the city obviously would. um, But there is lots of action and adventure for him to soak up. So that's Want by Cindy Pond. Okay, and... uh I'm going to go ahead and recommend Batman Nightwalker by Marie Liu. And it's it's not necessarily part of a series, but it is a Batman YA novel. So there's plenty to go if you want more Batman once you finish this. And also DC has been putting out a lot of YA adaptations of their properties lately. So you can go and find other books about DC heroes who who are, you know, taking their turn in the spotlight in this YA series from DC. In this one, you've got Batman. Uh, he's not Batman yet, though. He's a teenager called Bruce Wayne with, you know, lots and lots of money. But he's still troubled because, as you know, it's not really a spoiler. His parents were murdered when he was younger. Uh, and Wait, is Batman an orphan? <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. I loose lips. I, How dare you? <laughs> so um, he is is just kind of starting out with his his crime-stopping pursuits here as a hobby. Um, and he tries to stop a criminal. It goes wrong for him, and he is sentenced to community service at Arkham Asylum, like you are. And while he's there, he meets this, this criminal mastermind, named Madeline Wallace and you're not really you're not really sure if she's a friend or a foe and she turns him on to this thing that's happening where there's a secret organization involved in embezzlement and murder and they're called the Nightwalkers and Bruce as 
like this this huge wealthy billionaire type is primed to undertake this this investigation of this secret organization that is is really eager to target him just for his money alone but also he's he's about to get all up in their business and this is it's got a ton of action in this movie and and you can't get much more anti-hero than than Bruce Wayne. I mean, come on. He's this tortured vigilante. So, um this is a great book whether or not you're familiar with Batman because you get lots of little things that as a fan of Batman you might say, oh, I recognize that reference. But also if you aren't as familiar with Batman, it's a great little intro into this character before he is the person that everybody knows from the comics and television and film. So, um, so yeah. Batman Nightwalker by Marie Lou. I love everything that they're putting out right now with that whole line. I know. I, I'm I'm really enjoying the YA series more than I am the actual comic books lately. Oh yeah, same, same. <laughs> there's there's one coming out this summer. Sarah J. Moss is doing a Catwoman book yeah. that I'm really excited about. And Lee Bardugo did Wonder Woman, which is great. I love that. I love that book so much. Um, so yeah, it's a good YA series. Okay. Question seven is from G, who says, I'm a huge fan of true crime, but I've read very little crime fiction, and I want that to change. I've read and enjoyed the Elizabeth Salander books, the Cormoran Strike series, and some Town of French, and that's basically it. I like good mysteries, and I don't shy away from gory details, if you know what I mean. All right. Um, I picked Bonfire by Kristen Ritter, which... As I realized yesterday when I was recording all the books with Liberty, has just come out in paperback. So good accidental timing. For ah. me. <laughs> um, so Christian Ritter, if you are unfamiliar with that name, plays Jessica Jones in the Netflix series, um, which I love and I'm obsessed with. And she has basically written a Jessica Jones without superpowers mystery thriller crime novel, and I loved it so much. The main character's name is Abby. She's a lawyer um, who she's an environmental lawyer. She works in Chicago. And a new case has taken her back to her hometown of Barron's, Indiana, which she fleed from very purposefully. Um, and she is tasked with investigating the company. It's a company town. Um, so she's tasked with investigating the company. It's called Optimal Plastics. It's the most high profile company in the area. It's the economic heart and soul of the area. Everybody works for Optimal. And as she and, and they are being investigated for polluting the local waterways. Um, and so she starts, you know, digging into this uh, company, which does not endear her to the people who still live in her hometown. Nothing about her endears her to the people who still live in her hometown. She didn't have a lot of friends when she left. She wasn't very popular. And the popular kids in her school bullied her very, very badly. Um, and she hasn't been back since. So, but as she's doing this digging, Abby begins to really make connections between the company and the disappearance of Casey Mitchell, who was her very close friend in high school before she became a terrible bully and who disappeared um, mysteriously right after high school. Nobody knows what happened to Casey or where she went. And so she's starting to make connections between the disappearance of that girl and this big um, plastics company. And as she's doing all of this digging, she's she starts to unearth what's called the game, which is this ritual that um, the high-profile people who work for the company, some dudes in the community, and young girls are involved in. So it's like, you know, trigger warnings <laughs> for everything. Um, it's not it's not like gorily violent. I know you said you don't have a problem with like gory details, but it is disturbing and it is a crime novel. So there is, you know, crime that happens. It is of the violent, the violent variety. But Abby is a Jessica Jones kind of character. Like she's this hard drinking, one night stand, leather jacket, Jessica Jones kind of P.I., uh, lawyer um, who just does not care um, about making enemies or making friends. But it's the, the interesting thing, you know, that's like not a new trope in crime fiction. It's like probably the oldest trope, a hard drinking PI kind of thing. The interesting thing about Abby is that 
she is dropped into her hometown where her life was made really, really miserable by everybody who lives there. And so she does care. Um, you know, in her normal everyday life, she's floating through it hard as nails. But when she comes home, it's really hard to keep up that facade because everything there affects her. Um, so it's just a it's a kind of nice twist on that sort of trope. So that's Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. Okay. And um, I do shy away from gory details. <laughs> um, so, so this... This is not something that I immediately was like, ooh, I've got a recommendation for you. Uh, But I was reading a bunch of books that came out this week, and one of them was Any Man by Amber Tamblyn. And this book, it's a a pretty quick read, and there are gory details. Uh, It's about this, it's not, okay, it's about this serial rapist who she, she targets men. And it's told from the point of view of these men themselves. You don't really spend any time with, with this mysterious woman who's going around committing these super violent acts. It's a, it is a, a little bit of a gory book, but it, it's a, not so much a mystery. It's a very, it's very victim centered book. When the book opens, you have the the first of the victims just kind of regaining consciousness after his attack. And it goes on from there where the police and the FBI eventually, they, they don't have any leads. They haven't been able to find who's doing this. And the victims start piling up. There's another one and another one uh you have scenes where two of them wind up in the same support group and uh it's i i was a little wary i was a little skeptical going into this book because i i was worried that it would center these these male victims at the expense of <coughs> of women who are by and large the the most most numerous of sexual assault victims. But this book walks a, a very fine line, very, very skillfully, where, okay, um, where these, these men get to say things about rape culture that don't, very often get said because there is this stigma for men to come forward as victims. Um, there's it's it's a part of toxic masculinity that doesn't get talked about too often, where you aren't allowed to be a survivor of sexual assault because how could you let it happen? You're you're a guy. You are strong. What is wrong with you? Um, so so this is a really interesting book in terms of expanding and starting some conversations about rape culture and the the burden that is placed on on survivors of all genders. So there you go. Any Man by Amber Tamblin. And that is our show. Huzzah! Jasmine. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for other people to find. You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where can people find and you? I'm on Twitter <laughs> All right. at Meowy Christina because I have a cat. All right. And <laughs> get it. Hey, and we will talk to y'all next week. Bye-bye.